And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Thursday, May the 12th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. Today on May, excuse me, today on May 12th, 1949, the Soviet Union lifted the Berlin blockade. That had been set up, of course, to keep all Westerners out and to starve um, that part of Berlin. The Western powers had succeeded in uh, circumventing uh, with a Berlin airlift. Today in 1780, during the Revolutionary War, Charleston, South Carolina, surrendered to the British forces. Today in 1932, the body of little Charles Lindbergh Jr., who was 20 months old, kidnapped son of Charles and Ann Lindbergh, was found in a wooded area near Hopewell, New Jersey. Today, in 1933, the Federal Emergency Relief Administration and the Agriculture Adjustment Administration were established to help provide for the needy and to help subsidize farmers. Today, in 1958, the United States and Canada signed an agreement to create the North American Air Defense Command. Later, the name was changed to North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD. Today in 1970, the Supreme or the Senate voted unanimously to confirm Harry A. Blackman as a Supreme Court justice. They voted unanimously. Interesting. In 1970, today in 2008, a devastating 7.9 magnitude earthquake in China's one of China's provinces left more than 87,000 people dead or missing. Five years ago today, the the Pope, Pope Francis, he urged Catholics, he was in Fatima, Portugal, he urged Catholics to tear down all walls. Of course, that was kind of a metaphor. He was calling, I guess, for open borders on our nation as well here. It's interesting, interesting how that so many call for certain things, and yet they themselves live very differently. I don't mean this as a criticism of the Pope. I know there are a lot of Catholics that listen to this program, and I respect that, but Nancy Pelosi does the same thing. Well, she too lives behind a fence, a highly guarded fence, no less. I'm not suggesting she shouldn't. I'm just saying, how is this double standard, how does this work when all of us Little people out here are told to tear down all the walls, and yet the people who are advocating tearing down all the walls, whether they're politicians or religious leaders, have them around their compounds or whatever. It's just something to think about. I I don't know. President Joe Biden is failing to address the acute shortage of baby formula across the country. Yeah, baby formula. I, I mean, mothers are panicking. I mentioned that earlier this week, but it continues. It's resulting in a panic. Formula is necessary. It's a supplement. It's a substitute sometimes for breast milk, as we all know. The New York Times even wrote an article about it this week. Yesterday, a baby formula shortage leaves desperate parents searching for food, was the headline. A headline like that in America was once impossible. I don't, I'm over 40 now, and I don't remember a time other than 
I guess I was told during World War II it was that way. I honestly don't remember that, but I was, uh, I came later, but not much later, but nonetheless, it's never been like this, except for perhaps the rationing. But on Wednesday, yesterday, this incoming press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is a piece of work, and we'll probably talk about that more than once in the future, but anyway, she's replacing Jen Psaki. She was asked by a reporter at the White House briefing, was asked who is the person in charge, who's the point person or the running point on this baby food shortage. She looked bewildered, and she said, I have no idea, and started laughing almost like Kamala Harris. She's that out of touch. She now represents, speaks for the President of the United States. And yet across the country, mothers of babies are panicked. They're running from stores. They're calling there. I mentioned this the other day, but uh, I mean, it's just, in fact, the Republicans in Congress are working as we speak now to come up with a bill to force the Biden administration to do something about it. And there are several options they could be doing. And of course, they're not doing any of them. When you put that up against inflation, standing out from all the other problems and poll after poll after poll, we see it's not the Green New Deal. It's not a number of other things. It's not women's reproductive whatever rights or whatever. Inflation stands out among all problems that people identify in all the polls that I've seen. Now, there may be some that where it does not, but I haven't seen them. And I've been following a lot of polls lately just to get a feel. And I do all the time, but more so recently. But it affects everyone. That's why everyone is feeling it. And they always rate inflation as, a, as the most critical problem to them right now. People encounter it every day. When you go to the grocery store, when you drive by a gas station, when you fill up your tank or whatever, when you buy almost anything, you feel it. You go, wow, this box of Kleenex only cost me a couple of bucks last time. Now it's four bucks or five or whatever. After decades of stagnant wages and salaries, inflation is yet another example of America's livelihoods failing to keep up with the cost of living. And people are feeling this. And sometimes these things happen, and maybe whoever is president can't do anything about it. But in this case, this was created by this president and his policies. And even the left know it. They don't admit it, but they know it. Sometimes they do. The New York Times is coming close to actually admitting failures in the Biden administration. That's unbelievable because they are all in with the left. But people are so raw at this point, having lived through two years of COVID and all that stuff. And I'm reading now that we're going to go back into another COVID period, according to Fauci and some other people. Well, we'll see about that. But anyway, this George Lowenstein, he's a behavioral uh, economist at Carnegie Mellon University. He said it ju- people are beginning to feel like it's just one thing after another and we never get through one crisis till we're into another crisis. And even he was admitting that it's pretty much due to the leadership or lack thereof in our country today. But you know the state of our union, 
It may seem perilous, and it is. But our trust is not, and it never will be, in the politicians we elect. And yet I'm here every day, God willing and with your support, to tell you to vote for the right people. We as Christians must be involved. We've got to make our voice count. We've got to vote for the right and vote against the wrong and take positions and believe in something. Jesus did. And if we're followers of Jesus, we've got to do that as well. But ultimately, at the bottom line, our hope, our faith, is not in Olympia or Salem or Boise or wherever or Washington, D.C. Our hope is in the Lord. Our faith is in the King of Kings. Psalm 20 Verse 7 says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. As Christians, we acknowledge that God is the giver of our freedoms. Our founders recognized that for sure. They wrote it into our documents, our founding documents. But we acknowledge that God is the giver of our freedoms and the author and finisher of our faith. So in times of trouble, we can trust him to be our rock, our salvation, and our fortress. My assignment for you today, and I'm smiling, is Psalm 62.2. Remember when people used to get in, kids used to get in trouble, and the teacher would make them go to the blackboard? And for those of you who don't know what a blackboard is, it's kind of a blackboard on the wall. You write on it with chalk. No, it's not a it's not a screen. It, it's actually on. <laughs> Teachers would make the kid go to the blackboard and write a hundred times, "I will not chew gum in class" or whatever. Well, I'm not going to ask you to read Psalm 62:2 a hundred times, because you wouldn't do it anyway. But if you have a moment today, take a look at it, read it, make it your own. He is our rock, our salvation, and our fortress. I want to thank you for your support of this ministry. I I don't take a lot of time because we try to cover as much information as we can every day in the 30 minutes that we're on the air. Oftentimes, I wish we were on a little longer, but the economy of doing that would be is way beyond our budget, I can tell you, because Christian radio is expensive. It just is. But they have to survive so that the message that you're hearing now and other messages can survive as well. Because we live in a world that is becoming increasingly um, difficult to function in with a Christian voice. In other words, there's more and more and more opposition. Sometimes it's um, subtle. Sometimes it's overt. But there's more and more opposition particularly if people are actually saying something. Sometimes we just talk in the name of the Lord and nobody gets upset, nor is their life changed one way or the other. But when you begin to speak truth to the darkness, speak truth in an evil world, there is um, resistance. And I want to thank those of you who support us each month We wouldn't be on the air. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. I want to thank you for those of you who pray as well for us. 
I appreciate that very, very much. These are indeed um, unparalleled times. I know every generation has said that, and I know preachers were saying that generations ago, but these are unusual times. We're in a run-up to a cataclysmic event. It's called the return of Jesus Christ. But we need to have a clear head, a clear mind, and a focused attention on the things of God. But we've got to know what's going on in our culture today. And that's what I try to do every single day on this program to the best of our ability. With your support and with God's help, we'll continue to do it each day. But I do need your support to do it. Wherever you are listening, this ministry is paying someone to put that message out that you're getting in your car radio or whatever. So thank you for standing with us every single day as we do this. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. Well, yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was given a big no. We knew that was coming. The Senate rejected his so-called Women's Health Protection Act. That was the most misnamed bill I've ever seen, honestly. I mean, it was everything that that title doesn't isn't about. It was not Women's Health Protection Act. He forced Democrats to vote on an extreme abortion bill that most everyone knew could not pass. It was a show vote. I mean, it could have passed, but it wasn't likely. Even NBC tried to convince him not to take the vote earlier in the week. But the left in America is so obsessed with abortion that the leadership is blind to moral restraint. In some cases, I believe some have crossed that line. They don't know. They have no clue between good and evil or even common sense. While Schumer and Nancy Pelosi was with him all the way, of course, They thought it was important to take that vote. The vote dug a politically deep hole by all accounts, possibly a political grave for some Democrats. I hope so. I don't want them leading our country based on what they believe. Gary, you're getting political. No, I'm just looking at it as an ordinary citizen out here. Democrats whom Schumer pushed toward the political cliff, their career may be over. And all the perks and all the stuff that goes with being a quote-unquote public public servant. Well, the bill thankfully died. And what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes this morning is that it sheds light on where the leftist leadership wants to take our country. That's what I took for this. Because most of us knew this bill wasn't going to pass. I mean, you could do the math and people were talking. Thankfully, it didn't pass. NBC News was pulling for Schumer. They always do. They did their best to convince him not to take the vote. NBC, they were on the air. Tuesday, NBC said, quote, Democrats are once again headed for a show vote, this time on abortion. That risks dividing their party, depressing their base, and looks all but certain to be defeated. Well, they were right. They continued. Senate Majority Chuck, uh, Leader Chuck Schumer officially set into motion the procedure Monday, that would have been Monday of this week, afternoon, to have a key procedural vote on the Democrat bill to provide federal protections for abortion rights on Wednesday. That was yesterday. 
the vote timing is still to be announced. Well, it was determined about to, to be about 2.30 their time. And uh, NBC said earlier in the week it is expected in the afternoon on Wednesday and is still expected to fall short of the 60 votes needed to pass. They were right again. Why would he force this upon his own party members knowing it would fail? Because they believe that the American people will believe the title of the bill. This isn't about helping women. It's about killing unwanted, unborn children. That's what it's about, and a whole lot of other related activities. Schumer's rationale, he finally said, when people were questioning him in his own party, they were saying, why are you doing this? I don't want to vote for this. I don't want to be a non-vote. I don't want to be a yes vote. I want to stay away from this. Oh, no. He said, we're going to do this. His, His... Answer to why Senator Chuck Schumer was this, quote, the American people need to see where every single U.S. senator stands on women's health care. It wasn't about women's health care. It was about abortion, and everybody knows that. And it did show every American where every single U.S. senator stands. In a way, he was doing a favor to the pro-life people in America. For days, Schumer and House Speaker Pelosi argued with their people and others that the legislation codified Roe v. Wade. I don't have time to go into it today, but trust me, it didn't. (laughs) And people much smarter than I, they knew that. The senators knew it. They knew it didn't codify Roe v. Wade. That wasn't true. However, it did go far beyond a so-called women's right to choose or women's health care. That gives us all a good look at where the left really wants to take our country. The bill was lengthy, as they always are. They weigh pounds, not ounces. But here's a quick review. Let's just take a minute and just review what they were trying to do. They failed, but I can tell you they will not accept this defeat as final. As we speak this morning, on Thursday morning, They are busy in their offices, in the halls of power in D.C. and elsewhere, figuring out how to take another run at this, because this is what they really want for America. This bill, this so-called women's health bill, it created a right to abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy in all 50 states. Regardless of what the state's laws were, it would have overridden the state's laws regarding abortion. It struck down almost all state laws on abortion, including parental consent laws supported by more than 70% of Americans. They were cutting the parents out, as some schools have been trying to do. Planned Parenthood has been working on that project for a long time, trying to sneak girls in and out of clinics, give them an abortion so they can go home on the bus and their parents will never know about it. Oh, yeah, it happens. Ballard High School, for one, but it happens. This bill gutted conscious and religious liberty protections. It created a right for non-doctors to perform abortions. It prohibited state laws from banning sex-selective abortions, for example, allowing the killing of baby girls in the womb because they're girls and we wanted a boy. Yeah, all of that and a lot more. It eliminated all state and federal parental consent laws just across the board. Anything related to so-called 
health care. It eliminated all state informed consent laws, prevented states from passing laws to protect babies at 20 weeks, it forced doctors and nurses opposed to abortion to lose their jobs and Christian-based hospitals to lose public funds unless they perform abortions. It eliminated decades-long limitations on direct taxpayer funding of abortion. Yeah, we were going to pay for all the abortions now, including the people of the popular Hyde Amendment, which has saved more than 2 million lives, pro-life organizations estimate, since it was enacted. In short, the legislation would overhaul all federal and state pro-life laws and make it legal for elected officials to even introduce even introduce pro-life legislation. Anyone who would have voted for that does not deserve the vote of a Democrat, much less an independent or a Republican. That's horrible. Charles Cook wrote an article in the National Review this week. He said this week's show vote is destined to be a disaster for the Democrats. He said not only will the bill fail, which it did, infuriating the party's base, it will fail while putting the party's vulnerable senators on the record in defense of a remarkably extreme position. That were it to be advanced, would also require the abolition of the filibuster. At present, there's a great deal of confusion among uh, voters as to what overturning Roe v. Wade would actually do. He said, given the right set of circumstances, that confusion could plausibly redound to the Democrats' benefit, holding a televised vote to legalize abortions in all circumstances during all nine months of pregnancy, while destroying the Senate in the bargain, is unlikely to yield such a result for the Democrats. He was right. The bill didn't pass. The title of his article was, Chuck Schumer Keeps Leading Senate Democrats to the slaughter, politically speaking, of course. That pretty well sums up the current political climate in America. He concluded his article with this. He said, there's a lesson there, but Schumer clearly hasn't learned it. There's also a biblical proverb there that we all should learn. Every one of us, we should know this. It's an interesting verse. I could preach a whole sermon on it, a 30-minute sermon. I don't have 30 minutes, but I have four or five minutes left. Proverbs 26, 27. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. That's an interesting concept. It's biblical, of course. Hunters once caught wild animals by digging a pit. Now we hunt them with guns, and it's a wonderful sport. But wild animals were caught by digging a pit and covering it with a thin layer of dirt. The animal, not seen the pit beneath the leaves and grass would fall into it. The wicked, the wicked in the culture, digs similar pits for good men, for righteousness. But often they themselves fall into their own pit. That's what the Bible is saying. And in ancient war, men would roll these great stones. If the more round they were, the more, the more attractive they were. But they would, these stones were way too heavy to lift. But they would roll, this is in ancient times in war, they would roll them up the hill or roll them out, somehow get them to the edge of a wall or a cliff, and they, then they would kind of launch them with human power, and these huge stones would roll toward their enemies. And it would crush a number of them. 
depending on how well they launch the thing. But God promises the evil that their devices will roll back on them. In other words, that's the that's what the message is about. The people that intend to do evil are often trapped or caught in the trap of the evil that they've set for other people or even a culture. Abortion is evil. It's barbaric. Abimelech died by a stone after slaying 70 men on a, on a stone. Judges 9. Moab was cursed by the man who hired, they hired to curse Israel. Numbers 24. Haman died on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Esther chapter 7. Ahab's blood was licked by dogs in the place they licked Naboth's. Kings, First uh, Kings 21. Israel burned their children at Tophet, and God filled the place with their own bodies. Jeremiah 7. Conspirators against Daniel were destroyed horribly by the lions that they had planned that they should destroy Daniel. They themselves were destroyed, some of them. The Jews crucified Jesus to, in their mind, save their religious careers, but the Romans later crucified them by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. John 11. And consider this, the use of a rolling stone, Jesus boldly warned the religious leaders of his day, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Actions have consequences for good and for evil. And we live in a world today that is so, um, it is so, perverted and it is so twisted kids are coming out of our institutions particularly public institutions formerly known as education they're coming out of it so indoctrinated in the theories that surround all of this so-called progressivism they don't really think there are consequences some of these people are skipping around in congress like Ocasio-Cortez and all these people running around, we're going to burn up in 12 years, and we're almost at that mark now, and we're not burning up. In fact, those of us in the Northwest here are hoping for a little more warm weather. Spring would arrive. But these people have no concept of actions and consequences. It's just theory. Well, I believe this. Well, we must do this. We need to redistribute the wealth because... This isn't fair, and on and on and on it goes. Every part of life, and even the sanctity of life itself. Woman has a right to kill all the babies, and yet we don't stop, or they don't stop, particularly younger generation, because they've been so indoctrinated. And instead of falling on the stone, they fall under the stone. And our culture our society pays when they find themselves in leadership. That's one of the reasons why Christians have got to be involved in the election process. We've got to be involved in the culture. And with your support and prayers, we'll continue each day. Thank you for being with me today. See you tomorrow.